Actually, coming to you from the future today with Corinne Devon, who is in Japan a day ahead of us here. Corinne, thanks for being on the show. Well, hello and greetings. I should say Ohio Gazimas, which means good morning from Japan. Amazing. Amazing. So, is this your first time in Japan or for work, or what's the deal? This is actually my second time. I'm actually a naval officer for the United States Navy. And my first tour in the Japan was in 2012, where I was stationed outside of the Tokyo greater area at a base called Yokosuka. And this time I'm with the Marines at Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni, Japan, which is the most southern um, prefecture of Honshu, which is the main of the four islands in Japan, located in the Yamaguchi prefecture. So we're very close to Hiroshima and it's great to be back and... um, Yes, it's a beautiful country. I highly, highly recommend you come visit once we are allowed to do more travel more frequently. You know what's funny is uh, last summer I had this big Japan trip planned. Like I had planned it before COVID and stuff. And I was so bummed that I couldn't come because everybody keeps telling me how amazing Japan is. It's a beautiful country that I would say the two best times to come are going to be the fall when the leaves are changing colors and also the spring when the cherry blossoms bloom. It's truly magical. And you'll never be in a country where you'll feel more safe, respected, and just, and also quiet, even though the language and a lot of things they do is very different than what we're used in the U.S., but also very welcoming. Yeah, I've heard that too, safety and welcoming. That's like a common theme I've heard. Well, um, You've done a lot of things, clearly, after uh, checking out. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with you. You've done too many things, I swear. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, it's nice to talk to another UNLV grad, because I know we both went there for our doctoral training. Um, So go Rebels. Even though um, I can't say they're they're my true football or basketball team, I'm going to have to go with my alma mater, St. Mary's. But yes, it's it's been a journey. And um, I'm excited that I was able to get here, because I actually moved during the pandemic from Italy this year. So to see wow. how it's affected from one part of the world to the other has been quite um, quite a revelation. Yeah. Well, when did you go to UNLV? What, what time period was that? I was at UNLV from 2003 to 2004 dental school. I was actually the second class that graduated from there. Wow. You know what's weird is uh, we were there at the same time, the exact oh, same time. No way. Well, the first like 2003. I'm like, I graduated in 2007 and started there 2003 on my doctorate. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The first two years we were um, near the law school, but then they move us to the other campus, which is off of Charleston, right where the 15 and the 95 meet. So yeah, it was, it was great. I still have professors there who are like parents to me. And I always make a uh, chance to go back to Vegas at least once a year, no matter where the military has me. But obviously this year it just wasn't able to happen. Yeah. So tell me about um, the military. Why the military? It's it's interesting. I grew up in a military family. My father was in the military for 28 years, uh, active duty, um, retired as a a full bird colonel. And um, it was like my my whole childhood plus early adulthood. So 
I obviously I wasn't in, but man, I was in it a long time in terms of being in the family. What got you in there? Well, if you told my 80-year-old self that I would be doing the same job my father was doing and going to the parts of the world where he went on deployment, I would probably tell you you were crazy. But you know, it's funny how things come around full circle. So my dad did 20 years in the Navy as a dental officer. He was a general dentist. And I was born in the Philippines on a Navy base. So yes, lived um, a lot of the lives that I actually see of the children I treat. I'm now an orthodontist for the United States Navy. And what happened was that when I was in college, I remembered going to these elementary schools with my father. He was a very big proponent about my brother and I volunteering. And he got out of the military right before I started high school. And when we moved to Reno, you know, this is the first time we're not living on a base. We're not having my dad leave on deployment. So just even that alone was an adjustment. But for me, when I found that there was a great opportunity to have my school paid for, and when I was in dental school, I just really admire my professors who weren't afraid to go outside their comfort zone. They always seemed to figure out a solution. Like everything was figure outable to whatever the patient presented. And they all had gone to the military, Army, Air Force, Navy. I just thought, gosh, there's something to be said about doing my first few years as a dentist being in the military. And so both the Army, Air Force, and Navy offer a scholarship called the Health Profession Scholarship Program. It's something I recommend anyone who's going into the medical field. They do offer it for physicians. Uh, I know they have something for nurses, dentists, optometrists, pharmacists, and they pay 100% for your schooling. So it doesn't matter if you go to the most expensive school in the country, they pay for it. And then you give them back time in service. So they paid for three of my four years in dental school. So upon graduation, I was obligated to three years, but I'm getting paid also those three years and accruing time right. towards retirement and promotion. So all in all, it's a really great deal. And then in the Navy, obviously the Navy, we wear a different uniform than the Army, the Air Force, but the locations vary. But all in all, our job is very much the same. We just, you know, instead of having colonels, we have captain, you know, a Navy captain that's a full bird or just learning just some of the military etiquette varies by branch. But it's, uh, I never dreamed I would be in 13 years later still serving, but I, I love my job and what I do. And I'm just grateful not to have the student loan debt that would accompany um, my formal yeah. education. That's a huge problem for a lot of people is the debt uh, from college uh, for that. It's, it's an incredible thing that continues to be an issue. Um, and I wonder dentistry or being an orthodontist, I mean, it sounds like obviously you were aware of that with your dad. Did that drive you into that or was there a different reason? Drive me to join the military? For uh, being you know, into dentistry. Oh, into dentistry. Um, pardon me. Well, you know, it wasn't necessarily my father. I really enjoyed working with him, but I didn't know if it was dentistry or my dad. So I actually did internships with a pediatric dentist who I really liked. I liked the fast paced. I liked the fact that you got to know these kids, that you were bouncing around. And for me, what solidified that deal was a little eight-year-old girl. When I went to a few of these elementary schools and areas where the children were on reduced fee lunches, meaning their parents um, made below the poverty line. I remember this girl coming in incredible amounts of pain and we were doing sealants, which are protective fillings, um, not a filling where you need an injection, but just almost like a coating over teeth to help protect the first molars from getting cavities. And these are the right. first adult teeth you'll have for the rest of your life. So kids who are eight years old, they have those, usually have those teeth. They have some of their adult front teeth. And I remember her opening up her mouth. My dad motioned me over and there was holes. 
her first permanent molars were rotted down to the bone. And I, and I'm just, I was just in shock. I mean, this is Reno, Nevada. I am not in some war torn country. I am not in a place that doesn't have dentist or access to care. This is the hometown that I'm living at the time. And I thought, this should never happen to any kid. She should be having fun and eating all the foods that us adults don't eat and being able to just <laughs> enjoy life and not be on aspirin every single night because the pain is so bad. And so that's when I knew I actually really wanted to go into dentistry. But I knew that for me to be a voice that I really needed to have the education behind me, have those credentials, you know, have that backing. And so that's when I decided to go to dental school. And I was a communications major in college. So definitely had to <laughs> be very focused and redirect my educational path. And I was at a tough college. I was I went to St. Mary's, which is a liberal arts college in the Bay Area, where you had priests and brothers who would tell you that not even God gets an A. And they sincerely meant it. <laughs> So they really, I never heard that. <laughs> oh yeah. They really pushed you and you know, they lived on campus too. So they didn't care if you were there till eight or nine o'clock at night in your chemistry lab, you were there until it got done. So it was really challenging to get good grades out of that school. So I, uh, I really worked incredibly hard. And when I applied to down school, I was actually waitlisted into UNLV and then, um, yeah, the day they called, I remembered it. It was the first week in April, and I remember screaming at the top of my lungs. I probably woke up everyone in my dorm because I was <laughs> so excited to get into the school. And I mean, dental school is incredibly competitive. I don't know if I could even get into UNLV dental school today just because of the entrance exam and wow. what they look at. It's just incredibly competitive. But what I would tell any of your listeners that is interested in going that route is you don't have to be pre-med. You don't have to be biology you, you know, or a science major. Major in what you love and then just do the prereqs and have that come out in your interview. Because when I actually applied to dental school, my communication degree required a dissertation, a thesis. And I did mine on effective communication strategies that dentists use with children in public health care. So when they ask you the million dollar question of, you know, why do you want to be a dentist or why do you want to be a doctor? Bam, here's a hundred page paper that I did spelling that out that you could bring to your interview. And I think that speaks volume of your passion and your time because at the end of the day, none of my patients ask me about the periodic table of elements or to spell off calculus right. or you know, <laughs> if I was number one in my class or if I was the very last person in my class. It's about how I take care of them and how they feel that you know they give me their trust and and how they feel and knowing that um you know that we have that excellent that relationship. So I mean, that's, that's something I would, I would tell any of your listeners because don't, don't get discouraged. I had a I had some people along the way that try to discourage me and I'm really glad I didn't listen to them. Right. Most. Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. What has been the most surprising thing about being, uh, in dentistry and being in the military? Well, I would say the most surprising thing about dentistry is that, you know, you don't realize how labor intensive it can be on your body. So uh, what I mean by that was when my father was in the Navy, it's, and, and actually with me being in the Navy, you know, it's required for us to maintain good physical shape, meaning, you know, in the military, we have physical fitness tests twice a year. We have to run, do push-ups. We now do planks instead of sit-ups. We have to do all these things. And you just think, oh, it's part of being in the military. But having that good physical that physical background really helps you in dentistry. And I've seen that since dental school, going to um, conferences and CE where people 
pour everything into the profession and kind of let their health go. And because of how taxing it can be sometimes, you know, you're with a patient, maybe two or three hours, um, you know, looking over, you know, your posture, it really, um, it really can do a number. I always seem to have sore shoulders and a sore upper back. So I get, I see a sports massage therapist at least once a month just to help maintain me, recalibrate me. And I didn't realize how intense that can be on your body. Um, I would say hygienists probably have it tougher than dentists because they do the same motion. Um, but as far as being in the military, I would say what's probably been the most surprising to me about the military is how varied my job is everywhere I go. So I was a general dentist for three years and then I became an orthodontist. And again, I just want to let your viewers know, your audience know that these are just my views. They're not the views of the Department of Defense. But I would say my job everywhere I go the first couple months, yes, I may be an orthodontist or I was a general dentist, but I'm really learning the personality and the culture of where I'm at. Because certain forms, certain way I do things will have to vary by location. So for example, there was a form that I signed all the time in Italy that I, for my patients that maybe don't qualify for orthodontics um, on base just because I can't treat everyone. There's one of me and there's tens of thousands of people. But here in Japan, I actually have to run it by another general dentist who's not an orthodontist, but relies on my opinion to sign it. Like I'm not the final sayer, even though it's for orthodontics. So it just, I think for me, that's the support, that part that always surprises me is that everywhere you go, you really have to kind of take a step back rather than just jump in right away, just to really learn the personality, just not of the, the area, but of the command of the leadership, just so you kind of know where you really can kind of plug in and make the most impact. And that that's hard. I'm not a patient person. So that's something that I've definitely have had to grown to learn and adjust because I can be a bit of a tornado. That's truly oh. how I move. And so I think that's a part where I'm just constantly having to sometimes take it down a notch or really just pick and choose my battles and, you know, take a deep breath, take a step back and really try to listen and understand because when you work with people who've been there for a while, they may have already done what you're thinking. Um, and maybe they saw, you know, the good or the bad or the ugly, and they don't want to go down that path again. So you have to be very open-minded and understanding of that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And especially the health part, I think, is really kind of an underground thing for people. Like I have um, some cardiologist clients, and they always say that a lot of people in their practice retire early because of back issues all the yes. time. Mm-hmm. and I see procedures, it. right? And you don't think you don't think as a as a kind of a lay person thinking about on the outside, you go, really? Like that's why. But it, it's it's difficult on your body doing those things and, and the body positions and the mechanics that you're providing for that. And if you're not taking care of yourself, it just compounds on top of that. You know? Absolutely. So that's something that I've definitely make personal fitness a huge part of my life. So uh, normally when I wake up around four. 15 in the morning, I actually do a workout here at home. And then on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I have a colleague of mine that I, um, I'll, I'll go to the gym with him just to do, we, we are taking the bike for our, our physical fitness test uh, that's mm-hmm. coming up. And so I'll just to get him more encouraged to be more active, I'll go with him during our lunch hour. And you know, it's good for me too. It's a nice way to break up the day and you know, you'll never regret doing something to take care of yourself. You know, you'll, you'll regret when you don't go or when you keep hitting the snooze button on the alarm clock. So um, <laughs> it, it definitely pays dividends. It really does. I think for me, it definitely sets my mood for the day. 
So have you always been really into personal fitness or has, been a, has it been kind of a, a slower thing that you've gotten towards in your life? It's been slower, I would say, only because just of lack of knowledge. So in high school, I did track. I was a cheerleader. I played tennis. And in college, I also cheerlead. But, you know, I really didn't understand what it was like to go to a gym. I kind of was intimidated by a gym. I would go to the cardio machine. I really didn't know much about lifting weights. And it actually wasn't until I was deployed to Iraq uh, with the Marines and the Navy in 2009 that I actually really got a chance to understand the equipment. So one of my very good friends, he's still a good friend today, is a sports medicine physician who was deployed over there with me. And he really took the time to educate me on how to lift properly that I wasn't going to bulk up a ton of muscle, that building muscle was a healthy thing, a good thing, would protect me down the road, especially having a family where osteo, um, osteoporosis and, and other issues could, um, sclerosis could be a, a thing for me if I don't take care of myself now. And so I really have gotten into it. And then from there, I've really invested in a lot of trainers and just finding ways to tweak. You know, Unfortunately, there's no one solution for it all. Everyone who out there who thinks they can spot treat, unless you go to a plastic surgeon, they're not going to be able to spot treat. And, you know, I would say the best thing that I've learned over time has been food. You know, in residency, when I went back to res I went back to school when I was 29 for two years for residency, and you are working long hours, you're very often sleep deprived, you don't have time to cook. And that's when I really started seeing the benefit of actually eating good food. So a couple of my colleagues got into this meal prep service. And even though it would be something simple, like a snack would be like some apple slices with some peanut butter or hard boiled eggs. Like I could start feeling the difference of feeding my body good fuel versus having licorice and popcorn all day long. And so to just start <laughs> trying to keep myself awake. And yeah. I would tell people, you know, as I've gotten older, your diet plays a bigger role where your skin will feel better and look better. You'll feel better. You're, you'll feel more rested. And you know, I would almost, I would argue that your diet actually plays a better, a, a bigger role in your weight loss and how you feel overall than just exercise alone. I, I mean, exercise is important. It's good for cardiovascular. It's good for, you know, you know, maintaining and building, building muscle. But if you just put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And so, um, it's definitely something, I mean, I've meal prep, like if you saw my lunchbox before I left this morning, you would see, you know, some hard boiled eggs and wheat toast with some avocado mm -hmm. for breakfast and, you know, salmon for later for lunch. And, you know, people laugh, but it, it, overall you'll see that. And I would argue to say that even now, as you get older, you can see the changes in people who age more gracefully, who do treat themselves good. So it's been definitely Most an definitely. evolution. And I'm always, I'm always willing to learn because I just feel like, you know, the what we're learning changes. And um, I don't know, you got to have a little variety in your life, especially when it comes to that. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, obviously, I mean, I've been in the exercise, health and wellness business for almost 20 years now. And um, it, it makes a huge difference. You know, I'm, it's hard when you're talking to other people who, you know, you kind of preach into the choir, they know this, you know this. But for the large part of the general public, it's, uh, they may know some things, but it, getting people to actually create a behavior change to take care of themselves is really hard to do. It, it really is. And I would say for me, the biggest hurdle I had was learning how to cook. And I know that sounds so silly, but <laughs> when I moved Not to Italy, uncommon. I, yeah, yeah. When I moved to Italy, I didn't have a meal prep service. I, the, the girl that I would use that was in Italy, she was in the military, she got out. So I had to learn how to cook and 
I could not believe that once I actually started cooking, how much better I felt, how much better my skin looked. Um, you know, if anyone wants a vain reason, you will have fewer wrinkles if you do not have as much sugar in your diet. Your skin will look better. My best friend's a dermatologist. You know, thank you, Amanda. Like she was so right. And um, you just, um, you know, in Italy, I had such great, great ingredients to cook with that it's definitely uh, reminded me how food can be so appreciated. And when you eat food that's so nutrition dense, you can actually eat more of it. So if you think of something like, you know, those Milano chocolate cookies that are from like a peppery farms that are so good, you could have only two of those, or you could eat a whole apple and probably a tablespoon of almond butter and be the same amount of calories. Like you can actually eat more food when you eat good food. So I don't know. I, I would tell people, you know, there has to be a way you can wrap around it. And for me, I do pageants and competitions. And for me, that was a big role that got me motivated to change. So you do have to have your why, because you're right. Change is hard, but once you actually make that change, it does get easier. Most definitely. I uh, I wanted to get into that. You beat me to the punch there about the pageants and competitions. What was the kind of genesis or motivation for getting into those? Honestly, it was a dare from some jerk in my dental school who told me uh -oh. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> a dare, honest, huh? It was a dare. So I was not born and raised uh, doing pageants. In fact, anything my parents cringed for the longest time when I would do it, they did not want to come to any of my competitions. They've only been to about two of them, uh, even up to this day. But I remembered second year in dental school, one of my colleagues had watched the Miss USA pageant. And the second runner up that year was a dental student from North Carolina. And she's like, Corinne, you would be totally awesome at this. I'm like, I don't know. I'm only five foot three. Those girls are like super tall. They look like models. And before I have a chance to respond to her, this guy who was listening to our conversation was like, Corinne could never do that. And I'm like, really? I just turn around. I'm like, all right, watch me. And that year I competed for Miss Nevada USA and I got first runner up. And I had no clue, no clue what I was doing. I think I wore my prom dress. I wore the wrong color on stage. I'm very fair skinned, so wearing gold, I pretty much, you couldn't even see who I was on stage. Right. I didn't know what a interview was or the swimsuit competition or anything. I mean, they could say world peace, you know, and I could say, yeah, that would be great. I'm in the military. That would be an occupational benefit. <laughs> but I just, I really didn't know more about it. But what I, what made me come back um, and end up winning a couple years later was, understanding that you really have to know who you are when you do a pageant. You have to be very confident in who you are and what you stand for. And I could see the benefit beyond the pageant, meaning, you know, in the military, I have to walk into boards. I have to walk into meetings almost every day where you have to be very confident and clear and direct who you are, but also not apologetic. And you have to be able to relate to people and be very impactful and engaging in a very short amount of time. And pageants train you to do that. The interview skills that you learn in pageant to answer tough questions on the fly, to not even blink an eye is so important, especially in my job where very often I'm just not speaking to other doctors, but I'm speaking to people who are commanding officers, who are Navy SEALs, who fly air groups, who are in charge of ships and large groups of people who know nothing about dentistry, who I might as well be speaking Greek. And I have to be able to speak to them the way that they understand and see the value of what I'm doing either for themselves or for their sailors or the people that I'm trying to ensure that I can take care of. 
And I can't think of a, a better hobby that can train to walk into interview to have those skills where people remember you and not the other 50 other people that walk in the room after you. So what was your parents' uh, kind of objection to the whole thing? Well, when I competed for Miss Nevada, the uh, the year that I, I went back the following year and the woman that won, she was she had extracurricular activities that my mother would say were very un-Girl Scout-like <laughs> or unchristian-like. <laughs> and she felt that by me doing that as well did my father, that I was wasting my time, my energy, and associating with people that would would harm me from, you know, the potential I had in the future. You know, um, there is some wonderful women I've met in pageantry, but there's also some women who fall for the apple falls very far from the tree. They only care about the crown and getting the attention on stage, but not doing the work that was associated with it. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you see, you know, a lot of shows on TV, reality shows, you know, they're not showing the girls who, you know, do their homework and get up early and bill prep. They're showing the girls who are out partying who are, you know, doing things that are not, that could be very detrimental and you don't see the good side of it. And so it really wasn't until I was in Texas and I won Miss Texas actually in residency and competed for Miss United States. My parents could see the value because then they started meeting all the people that I met in pageant by that time. And, you know, the value that I was getting from it. And it took my parents about almost till the last couple of times I've competed to really see the value of, because they, they thought it was just some pretty girls pranced around, you know, wanting to feel good about themselves and get a crown on head. They didn't understand that I looked at this as a job. I looked at this, okay, this is my year. This is what I've planned out. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. And I believe once they started seeing that, they're like, oh, like this isn't just something fun you do for a weekend. This is something you're doing for the next 365 days a year they really started coming around. And, you know, ironically, pageants have been the thing that have paid for me to come back to the United States, living abroad, not necessarily always the military. And through doing pageants, the military, I've had some very supportive people along the way that been able to see the benefit of me building up host nation relationships, doing stuff in the community. So it's it's not just always my parents. Sometimes I've, I've had bosses in the military who are just like shaking their head thinking, oh my gosh, like you're doing what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to be prepared with anything. Um, and I would tell people, you know, my yes, my job is first and foremost being a naval officer, being an orthodontist. And like with any hobby or any passion, you know, you got to make sure you're killing it at work first before you leave and do other things. Because you want, you're, you need to have your boss know and the people that are around you know that um, this is not going to stray from, you know, what what you do, you know, majority of your workday. Have you always been this ambitious in your life? I would say yes, just because I learned at a young age, if someone told me no, I wanted to find a way to say yes. <laughs> and that I understand not, that. Yeah. Yes. And I also, you know, I guess growing up, I had some people that were very um, discouraged. So even when I was in college, I had someone who told me that I would never get into dental school, that I was wasting my time. This was actually came from a career counselor that I should focus on getting my MRS degree and nothing wrong. Why to would they say that? Went. I, mean, I, they, well, I wasn't, I wasn't getting the good grades in college to get into dental school. I was struggling with the science courses. So I would tell you, you know, maybe she thought I was, she was giving me some tough love, but she actually was giving more fuel in my fire. It'd be like, okay, 
Guess that means I'm going to take summer school. Guess that means I'm going to put in even more hours in the library and really maybe get some tutor to help me figure out how I can be um, get the grades I do need to move forward. Yeah, I, I just I'm thinking about all the things you tell me you're doing, and I'm like, this seems like a like a person who's been very ambitious most of their life. Like it just didn't happen overnight, you know. Like you just were like woke up one day, we're like, I'm going to start doing a bunch of stuff, <laughs> you know, type of thing. <laughs> it's been an evolution. And I would definitely tell you, you know, you know, all your listeners, you know, you can do it all, just not all at once. Um, some things in right. my life at a certain point will take more of a headway than others. So right now, even though I am a current paddle, uh, pageant title holder for International Miz, I am not really doing a lot of stuff with the pageants just because of the pandemic and being in a country where, you know, just anywhere in the world right now, I think we're very limited on our social interactions. Yeah. So I'm putting, you know, some of my focus elsewhere where I can still be involved, but in different ways. And that's, you know, being on your awesome show and Dr. D yes. and also, <laughs> um, and also looking at writing a book and finding other ways where I really can, um, you know, be impactful, just um, be impactful virtually or at a distance that is um, safe and respected for a lot of where people are right now and how they're juggling um, where our current state of affairs is in the world. Yeah. So I wonder, like you're talking about, on, you know, on this show and stuff, what's been your experience being doing interviews, being on podcasts? I mean, it's a very popular format these days, you know. I love it. It's, you know, for me, being an extrovert and being a people person, it's hard not having all the social events, the um, the trips to plan for, the things to look forward to. So for me, podcasts have been something that I've enjoyed listening in my car on the way to work, um, at home when I'm, um, you know, cooking or meal prepping. I find it such a great way to feel connected in a world where we're all so spread apart. And I even look at social media, and I believe you said this on one of your episodes, you know, just even how we look at social media now is so different than how we were looking at maybe three or four years ago, where it's much more than just a highlight reel. It's a way for us to be connected and also meet people that we may not necessarily have met if we were doing your, you know, your typical happy hour or your networking events or career fairs that we go to because you would be limited to such a small circle. So for me, I've really enjoyed just the host I've met and also the people that I've met from them. Um, so I would, I would definitely say, I, I definitely hope that when we have recovered from this pandemic and people are able to get vaccinated and we're at a place in the world where we can travel, that the podcast or something we continue to do for me, I don't even listen to the radio. This is what I listen to more often yeah. than not. So I'm the same way. Yeah. I just, I listen to podcasts, different things. I like kind of being the fly on the wall, but also like doing the podcasts and hosting like I'm uh, doing currently with you. And it's just a different medium in a social media aspect. I think it's, it's an interesting thing. Like I've talked about it a lot on different podcasts and it could be a slippery slope. You know, it's, it's kind of like today, I was, before your recording, I had a guy who was a technology entrepreneur. You know, my podcast, I talked to like every single type of person on the planet. I, mean, I had a magician on the other day, the esports guy from Japan, and you're learning all this stuff. And it's, and we were discussing how like, you know, the technology may, may not necessarily be the problem completely with what we have, our negatives about it, but you know, people themselves and looking at themselves and how are they using it? Are they using the technology for good purposes and helping other pe people and being generous, you know, and how they feel about people? Or are they using it to, for negativity based things or to get out things about your life that you're unhappy with? It really just depends on the humans and how they're using it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I would tell you that something I did earlier this year um, that was really, I, I had no idea how impactful it would be, but I was in Italy when we were hit with the pandemic in March um, before it arrived to the United States. And I remember recording a video that I sent to just my close family and friends about what was happening because unfortunately our news doesn't always show the full story or give you the full background of really of the reality of the situation. And one of my friends who's very big into social media, Veronica, who's more of a marketing guru, I would say, she said, you know, do you mind if I just post this? And I said, no, I don't mind. I would never dream that it would have gotten as many views and I would have as many people reach out to me because I was very choked up. I was very emotional and raw about, you know, going to a country where I literally got off an airplane and the next day I was quarantined along with 33 yeah. million people. And the fact that when I leave my house, I would get pulled over by the Cabernet and have to speak all the Italian that I know. And I'm by no means fluent or just to see that these families who do not get stimulus checks, who do not have the social welfare um, systems in place, watch them struggle. And it was just very, uh, it was very hard to stand by and watch and feel helpless and not always know what you can do. Um, so it, it really, I guess it really struck a chord. And, um, I, I guess for me, that's where social media, I think can be very powerful is that when you really are genuine, you're authentic and you really let people see who you are in a very confidently vulnerable way, it can really be quite powerful. It definitely can. Most definitely. I, I never thought about the fact that you were there, like right when that thing hit. And it was very, yeah, that's crazy. It, it was. I mean, at first you didn't, I was, and I was located in Sicily, which is the island off the boot. So at first we, um, we weren't hit initially as hard as they were up in the Milano, the Lombardia and the Venezia um, area. Uh, but what really, I think was when you really knew it was real was when about, they had about 30,000 people when they learned they were going to kind of quarantine those regions, they left that area and came down to their summer homes in Sicily. And all of a sudden we had 500 cases overnight. And that's when you're like, okay, this isn't just some virus in China. Like this is the real deal. And um, working at a hospital on a military base, you know, I, I had a reason to go into work, which I looked forward to, whether if it was just one day a week or two days a week or three days a week. But I mean, everyone handles it differently. And I just, I remember the day my dental assistant in Camden was crying because she was so worried that, you know, treating a very young population where they may not show symptoms, she was going to bring it home. Um, to her family, where I I don't have a family, I'm single, and so I think that's just the way that I saw people handled it. It very was it was very much eye opening. So I I was very grateful to have a job and a place to go to work, even if it was just one day a week. But it just it really made you take a step back and evaluate. Okay, what's really important in my life, and kind of going to that hierarchy of okay, do I have food on the table? Do I have a roof over my head? Do I have a warm place to sleep? Do I have hot water in the morning to take a shower? It it just I mean your mindset just went to survival mode literally just overnight. So I, um, I, I don't, I don't, um, regret my experience in Italy, but I just, I really pray and hope that when our country recovers that, um, they're able to get back on their feet because it, it will take them years and years to recover from this. Yeah. What's the experience like in Japan during these times? Japan is very different than Italy. I would say it's 180 degrees opposite. So mm -hmm. 
in and that's just in general the culture. So in Italy, they don't stop at stop signs. They, you know, go driving is like, you know, fast and furious, like personalized yeah. video game. Um, and the culture is very affectionate. Where here in Japan, they're much more reserved. They follow the rules. So everywhere I go, you know, people are wearing masks. It's very clean. They never actually shut down their country. They've been actually able to contain it quite well here, even though they are very, very conservative. So any sort of um, spike, and I say spike, let's say 30 out of 100 is their threshold, they will actually, I don't want to say quarantine the city, but they'll reduce services really quick in the city. So when the government puts out things, people listen and they actually will um, will not do anything. So right now they used they used to have a go travel ca- uh, campaign within Japan to encourage people to travel but they stopped that around the holidays when they noticed that Hokkaido which is the second largest island in Japan uh, and think of Japan as the size of California so think of mm-hmm. you know northern California um had a rise in cases and they you know depending on the maps you look at this is where it's a little challenging being here is that you almost have too many cooks in the kitchen so different maps show different numbers but all in all I mean They've been able to keep their economy open, keep things running. It is a very thriving, uh, very thriving country in Asia. So I would say, you know, Japan is almost like the Switzerland of Europe. Like they're very well off. Mm -hmm. They do take, have a lot of programs in place and unemployment is very low, but I do know it has affected people there. I had someone come by yesterday who was a university teacher, but now he also runs a house cleaning service because he's just trying to find ways to keep food on the table. So you're seeing people during this time, just really do anything just to make ends meet. So I think that's where I, I get kind of the reality check of like, okay, wow, like, you know, people here in a very economically thriving country are still, still struggling. But I mean, day to day, I would, I mean, I do stand out more here. I'm kind of a flashlight being blonde hair and blue eyed and, and five foot <laughs> three is tall. Um, but, yes. you know, I would just say they're just much more quiet, much more reserved, um, than Italy. So, you know, instead of saying, buongiorno, como stai? And coming over and hugging me and kissing me on the cheek, it's more of like, ohio gozaimasu, genki desu you know, good morning, how are you? And bowing. Yeah. And you're about four feet away from them. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> right. it's very, very different, very quiet, reserved, respectful. Um, but they're just so sweet and kind. I, I feel very grateful to be here. Oh, that's amazing. Well, listen, I know you got to go to work. I don't want to hold you up anymore, but thank you so much for coming on and telling a little bit about your story. I appreciate you, Corinne. Thank you so much. And you too, Dr. D. It was a pleasure. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. All right. You thank too. you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.